sports stadiums and large public venues come in all shapes and sizes. Some have domes, some have natural grass fields, some have banked concrete ovals where cars drive fast. While no two stadiums may be perfectly alike, there's one thing that all stadiums today have in common, a reliance on technology. This is the Stadium Tech Report podcast, where we talk to people on both ends of the stadium technology equation, including the stadium technology teams who deploy it and use it, and the vendors and service providers who supply it. I'm Paul Kapuska, editor of the Stadium Tech Report and your host on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. JMA is a leading provider of distributed antenna systems in hundreds of stadiums worldwide, delivering the best performance, highest reliability, and lowest total cost of ownership. Our platform ensures that you're 5G ready when it comes time to add a private wireless 5G network to your existing venue infrastructure without a rip and replace, providing a foundation of wireless connectivity to improve the fan experience while reducing operating costs for stadium owners and broadcasters. Visit jmawireless.com app to explore more. One of the hallmarks of the stadium technology user community is its willingness to quickly embrace technology that has been proven to work in another venue. That trait has fueled the recent success of the Matsing Lens antennas, which in the past few years have gone from a curiosity to a rapidly accepted technology that can help solve many venue cellular connectivity issues. Join us as we talk to Matsing CEO Bo Larson and co-founder and executive vice president Leo Madison about the technology behind the Matsing products and how they came to be a now commonplace part of venue cellular deployments. Next on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. Well, welcome, uh, Bo and Leo, to the Stadium Tech Report podcast. Why don't you take a second, uh, Bo, you can start, and then Leo, follow. Uh, just introduce yourself and uh, let people know what your uh, titles are at Matsing. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul, for having us. But So my name is Bo Larson. I'm the CEO at Matsing. My name is Leo Madison. I'm the Executive Vice President and Co-Founder at Matsing. Great. For the opening question, I'd like to ask, can you briefly explain why Matsing antennas are being deployed in more and more stadiums? What's the, the main value add that stadiums are looking for and finding with Matsing lens antennas? This is Bo here. I can take a first stab at that. It's one of those things that happens once in a while, but it happens when you have an absolute perfect product market fit, you know, where, they, where the market have dynamics and demand and and future requirements, we are able to provide a product solution that that meets those in a perfect way with the right economic situation around it. So, so as you know, you know the market dynamics for a variety of reasons is demanding capacity increase on a on a fast pace. So we are seeing like a capacity increase demand being like fifty percent or so annually. That means that every two years, Porsche venues increase the capacity or need to increase the capacity by at least uh, 2x or maybe even more than 2x. So you have to have a solution that can add radius and sectorize a stadium with zones in a way to keep up with that demand. And, and Matsing have, have the fundamental technology to, to do it in a smaller venue like we are doing in hockey arenas and stuff with 20,000 people and maybe 25, 30 zones, and being able to grow that all the way up to what we are doing now in some of the NFL stadiums, up to 240 plus zones, and maybe going over 300 zones. 
and there's no end to it. We can we can keep growing. Well, that's great. I think that's a great yeah. intro. And maybe this next question is better for Leo to take uh, because I'd like to backtrack a little bit. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit how the company got started? What was the, the sort of genesis technical idea? Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? How was the product first developed? Absolutely. We've had quite a long journey uh, with developing this technology. We actually founded the company back in 2006. It was founded by my father, Dr. Madison, myself, and my brother. The idea itself uh, was quite interesting. I mean, one of the key inspirations, I would say, for developing the technology was back in 2000, I think 2004, 2005, there was a large ongoing project uh, by many different governments called Square Kilometer Array, or SKA project. I believe it's still going on, actually. Uh, but basic idea there was to, to create a very large antenna or an array of antennas to receive weak signals from space. So basically, you know, one of those multi-billion dollar projects where they put those huge satellite dish antennas uh, in a very remote area. So initially they were planning to do it in Australia, out in the outback, minimal, you know, uh, atmospheric interference. So you can get all that research. And long story short, the the project was moving towards doing a one by one kilometer array of five meter dishes. So you can imagine the the scale of this project. (laughs) And one of the key scientists and groups from this multinational project actually proposed, guys, instead of dish antennas, there's such a thing as a lens antenna. Lens antennas have been known, um, but they've had very minimal, limited applications for commercial applications. But they proposed using a lens antenna because inherently, if you create an antenna using a lens versus a dish, you have a lot of advantages. I mean, one being is that you could see a lot more of the sky. So instantly, your system becomes a lot more practical and useful. So uh, long story short, this multi-billion dollar government uh, entities started to try to build Bloomberg lenses or spherical lenses for this purpose. They still would need five meter ones. But the first one they built was a one meter lens. Uh, Long story short, they had a public report that came out and they said, guys, it's exciting, interesting lenses. But end of the day, there's no materials which make it viable. Uh, there's no materials found in nature, which we can build these types of lenses easily or even build them effectively up to large sizes. It's just, wow. it's not practical and no such material exists. And I can give a little bit more detail maybe later on about the physics of the materials. But so long story short, my father's background, he's a uh, very extensive physics and materials, radio physics background. So uh, he was inspired by this idea of seeing basically instead of having a dish antenna, for example, which creates one beam in one direction, what mm-hmm. if you can have an antenna like a lens, which works more like your eye? So just because the physics are similar, different wavelengths. But imagine just like your eye works, which can receive light from multiple directions and focus it on the back of your eye. Mm-hmm. If you build an antenna, the same principle, you now have an antenna, which instead of just being a one directional, can receive signals from all types of directions and replace many dish antennas. So this was kind of the inspiration. So in 2006, we uh, started the company and we developed a brand new type of metamaterial. We invented and patented a metamaterial. Then we designed machinery and how to build this material. And once we were successful creating this new type of material, it really unlocked a lot of potential and possibilities. So just to maybe simplify it a little bit, you know, uh, the way I understand it is that, you know, compared to traditional antennas, which broadcast in sort of wider, less predictable ranges, one of the main benefits as well of the lens antennas 
is the ability to produce a very tight beam that can travel mm-hmm. farther distances as well, which coming from the stadium world, it's like that's nirvana, right? It's both things you want you know, to be able to have a tighter focus and not worry so much about interference and have the distance where you don't have to be, you know, say within 30 or 40 feet. Exactly right. You know, everything is nice to say in threes. So I would say for lenses, number one key advantage is ability of doing multiple beams. Now, the technology inherently is designed that you can produce multiple directions and independent. That's an important word, beams. But what I mean by independent when we come to our applications is I'm largely talking about isolation. Isolation is in the sense if I create two different beams, but the energy from one of my beams is constantly being uh, taken in by the other. They're not isolated. You'll mm-hmm. never get good capacity. And so uh, the key, one key inherent technology is those multiple, multiple sectors. Second one, as you mentioned, because of the lens design. So a lens actually, if, if we could go a little bit more deeper into it, it's and why people couldn't do it. Why was material such a challenge? It's because the lens, it's built like an onion. So if you can imagine many, many different layers, right, of this lens, each layer actually has to have a different dielectric constant. And the basic idea of these lenses is, for example, the constant will go from one on the outside to two at the core. One is the same as air. But the more layers, the smoother the transition you can create, the better performing the antenna. And this is the difficulty, is creating material where you can create those specific layers. But the result is, is that if you can construct lens with multiple layers nicely, you're exactly right. The RF, which is meant to be focused where it's going, is largely focused where it's going. What that means is that there's not a lot of stray, what I call stray RF. So Mm -hmm. uh, RF being transmitted where it's not meant to, which creates interference and, of course, kills capacity. So I would say, yes, that's the second inherent advantage. And I would say, finally, for telecom, what's also kind of critical is that we created this material. One of the other key challenges for the material was to create it so it's relatively broadband for our application. Uh, And when it comes to materials, what I mean by broadband is that material has to not have losses. Losses, that means that, you know, as the electromagnetic wave passes through it, it shouldn't absorb energy and transfer it to heat. That's a problem. So that's a key parameter for materials, which people couldn't figure out. Can you talk maybe a little bit about how it all got started? Because I know I had seen some of the antennas in use at Coachella and some other festivals and the inauguration. What was like the the turning point for you guys where you saw where the you know, the stadium people were finally understanding you know the benefits? It's a great question. Uh, also, an interesting journey. So we've had some good good journeys over the last few years. But for us, um, well, as you can imagine, and particularly in this type of industry that's dominated by certain key players that supply technology, and to be honest with you, all those key players provide a similar basis technology, phased right. array, for example. Of course, there was difficulty to enter the market, as you can imagine. It's a brand new technology. Initial response is, what is a lens? We've never seen, seen these things ever. Right. Uh, never heard of the, the company. So our process actually was uh, strategically was what is first, how do we get our foot in the door? What's the biggest challenge ter- that we can help serve, uh, solve for the operator in terms of capacity? And actually, the first initial biggest challenge was more outdoor events. So actually, to be honest, first one was Coachella, because uh, operators would say, guys, uh, yes, it's not something that's being used year round, but we have an event, happens one weekend or two weekends, 200,000 people, and whatever technology we throw at it, we can get good results. So that gave us an opportunity to showcase the lens, and that was the best way to prove the technology. 
So after that success, people started to, so we like to, as I say, we were founded, the company's founded on physics. We always like results. <laughs> so the way we prove our technology is to let people try the antenna, to use it, collect data, and see the results for themselves. That was the best way to prove the technology was something like at a crazy high capacity event out in the desert, no infrastructure, and yet be able to provide the results. Once we saw a lot of the operators starting to adopt this for all major events and outdoor festivals, such as inaugurations, the Pope visit, I remember 2016, everybody was using them. Next obvious step was where do we see this challenge again? Where do we see this capacity challenge? And the next big one was stadiums and arenas. The exact same issue sure. was happening. People had panels, but there was not enough capacity. Difficult problem. With lens, seemed like an, a perfect, easy fit. So actually the first let's say trial case was actually with uh, outside of North America, oh, outside of the US, it was in Canada. Uh, it was actually in a small venue in Regina. And they used some of our antennas and put it up in a semi-covered venue, I think for Canadian Football League. Uh, I remember that, yeah. yeah, so they had great success. So that was the first, and that's what we saw, you know what, this concept works perfectly. It's line of sight, you can place them in several locations. But I would say our first major breakthrough, and of course that we're all still very uh, thankful for, was Amelie Arena in Tampa Bay. So over there, uh, again, the technology was well used in events and venues. I believe the tenant, the key key operator there at the time was AT&T, a gentleman named Rich Moon. He was very passionate about new technology. So he, he really looked into using Matsing potentially, or at least wanted to try it out instead of going kind of the standard way to upgrade. So we got a chance to, to test the antennas in Amelie. The results were terrific. Also, of course, heavily driven by the CTO at Amelie Arena. At the time, he was extremely helpful into to really getting the technology there. In a sense, Paul, it was, again, we needed that first trial case, and we needed people to believe in it, and we needed people to take a chance on new technology. So Amelie Arena certainly did that, and, of course, AT&T were very thankful too for that as well. And that was our first major deployment, I would say, in the U.S., Amelie Arena. It's amazing also. You know, we, we installed... Emily in Arena in 2018, right? They use 52 antennas. And even today, even though it's an AT&T neutral hosts, right? We are keeping up with ever increasing uh, demand for capacity and performance. During the time, I guess, they got three Stanley Cup championships as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a, it's a lucky yeah, charm. Sorry, it's amazing. So, I mean, they, it's five years, it's right? And keeping up with, you know, very stringent market demand. Coming up, we talk about the timing of the arrival of Bo Larson as Matsing CEO and how it meshed with a growth spurt in stadium deployments. More with the Matsing execs after the break. JMA is a leading provider of distributed antenna systems in hundreds of stadiums worldwide, delivering the best performance, highest reliability, and lowest total cost of ownership. Our platform ensures that you're 5G ready when it comes time to add a private wireless 5G network to your existing venue infrastructure without a rip and replace. Providing a foundation of wireless connectivity to improve the fan experience while reducing operating costs for stadium owners and broadcasters. Visit jmawireless.com app to explore more. You know, that's a great story, especially the Emily one, because I remember it well, because I had seen Matsing's, uh, the lens antennas starting to appear in sort of like ones and twos um, at U.S. Bank Stadium and Mercedes-Benz. You know, I would, they're very distinctive, right? If you know what you're looking for, you have to sort of look for them up in the ceilings. But if you know what you're looking for, you can see them. 
And, and it was kind of interesting. It seemed like you know the industry was kind of going through, I think maybe Leo, what you said, a test, right? Let's put it in. Let's see how it works. And I know they were using them primarily to cover sidelines, say for photographers, you know, during the big events, which is a huge bandwidth issue at many stadiums, mostly because a lot of stadiums, as we all know, don't have the ability to have traditional coverage right down at field level. That was about the same time that Bo joined the company. So maybe Bo, you could talk a little bit about you know what you saw in terms of a business proposition and you know, why it was appealing to you. And then you can both talk a little bit about how the business has grown rapidly, sort of, you know, it almost seems like during COVID or post-COVID. Yeah, no, so my thought, it was pretty easy. You know, I participated in in board meetings for several years prior to joining the company. I knew the company very well. I decided to join for a variety of reasons. One reason is the founding family. I mean, like an amazing family that have built this company for a long time based on very unique technology. And they all work together very well and have created a fantastic, you know, environment as a company. So that I had the chance to experience that for several, several years, observing it in an easy life, just being in the board meetings. But I, (laughs) you know, when it became, clear that it was proven you know the hard work that leo and and everybody else put in place where we were starting to become more of a standard it was a good time for me based on whatever i was doing at that time to join the company and i i believe that i i could significantly help the company to to grow the business so that's what we are doing so yeah it was an easy decision because i knew the company well but it's a it's a fantastic you know well-run company actually but can you just quickly talk a little bit about your background as well? Because I, I think that sort of explains part of it too. And some people may not know that. You know, I've I've been in tech my whole life. You know, I have this I have this Swedish accent, but I've actually I've been in Silicon Valley my whole life. You know, I worked for some some big companies. I worked for Sony for a long time, 10 years, built their, you know, computer and communications and IT business basically from scratch to you know, multi-billion dollars in revenue. Mm-hmm. I sold the company to to Ericsson, you know, working at Ericsson as a senior vice president and general manager in North America. So I, I did that, you know, for a few years. And then, you know, when we did Sony Ericsson, because for a variety of reasons, it was natural for me to hop on Sony Ericsson. So I spent the f- first few years at Sony Ericsson, but I have I have also done, you know, three startups that ended up growing successfully and we were able to sell them successfully. I've been in Silicon Valley having VC-backed companies and dealt with investment bankers quite a bit. So it's not often that you see in your lifetime when you have a a solution that is have this amazing product market fit that absolutely fit perfectly. And as an RF company, you know, matching definitely have the potential of being a breakthrough and growing to a very big company. So I I felt my background, having worked in Silicon Valley for a long time, pseudo aggressive, and having been through many growth spurts, you know, and successfully managed through them, and that I get I could help the company much. And, and Leo, I'm guessing, you know, from your end, from the founder 
Yeah, I mean, I just want to say, of course, from our side, we're very fortunate, very blessed to, I mean, it's almost like fate uh, that we got a chance to uh, firstly have Bo as a consultant on the board. I mean, that was always, that was also a big step for us uh, because, you know, traditionally our company were very run by our family. The good time to add somebody um, like Bo to the board was tremendously, tremendously helpful in his position there. And I mean, of course, like I still this day, I tell Bo, it's it's amazing he was able to uh, join us full time. So it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Leo, it's Leo is too kind. <laughs> very true. <laughs> Isn't the name Leo come from partially from the family name? Uh, yes, actually, <laughs> actually, yeah. So, I mean, we kind of say it uh, two different ways. But yeah, Matt saying um, one of the things, because the key, one of the keys is material, development of that new material. So we say it's material Singapore, or another way to look at it, it's our last name is Madison. So Madison, Singapore. <laughs> <In that. laughs> and Singapore was important. Because... Singapore. So yeah, Singapore, actually, I forgot to mention, but Singapore, yeah, I grew up in Singapore as did my family. So actually, that's where we founded the company back in 2006. So of course, now we're headquartered out of the US here, but Singapore, we still have all our manufacturing facilities, fully do everything in-house, built up all the facilities over there, still a lot of connection. Well, we still have a little bit of time. Let's. Um, I'd like to switch focus to the stadium that's going to, you know, it's one that has an extensive matching deployment already which I believe is also going to increase with capabilities through things like C-Band. I'm talking about Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, home of the Las Vegas Raiders. Can you both just talk a little bit about the initial deployment there? I know Matt Pasco likes to call the little Death Stars. <laughs> and then sort of what you're gearing up for for the next year, because, you know, like any year for the Super Bowl, there's always you know, a needed increase just to make sure the capacity is there. But I know you guys are very involved. And if you can provide some details, that'd be great. You said this is the next Super Bowl. So it's kind of, it's exciting for us. So we have at the moment, you know, 30 matching antennas in the stadium. And we have about, I think it's a little bit over so 75 mid-band zones and about 44 low-band zones. So a little bit over. 100 zones in the stadium now. The plan is to add before December 1st, C-band or F-band in the stadium as well. Wow. So we, with that, we are adding, you know, another 80 or so zones. So it will, it will end up going slightly over 200 zones. Yeah, so that it's, it's good. It, it seemed like that was, you know, physically and geographically sort of like a perfect fit for you guys as well, because it's, it's a football-sized stadium. But it's got sort of the construction characteristics that's and it almost feels like a basketball arena. I tell you when you're in there, you know, very big basketball arena. <laughs> it feels like a basketball arena. So, again, uh, it's the, the sort of marriage of need and, and ability to, to locate those things. Correct. Yeah, I mean, from, from our side, I think that venue was a perfect fit. But also, I think it's two parts. One is, of course, the layout. But number two, it's always also a good fit because it needs a lot of zones. So, of course, with that type of approach, uh, matching becomes more and more uh, the right fit when you need a lot of zones and if you have a place where you can hang them. But you're correct, Paul. I mean, initially, actually, as, as I mentioned, Amelie, one of the first full overhang. Mm -hmm. This is kind of in between. We have yeah. done some uh, open ball stadiums, uh, like some of the large college stadiums here in the U.S. They also utilize uh, lenses uh, on the side right. of the venue. Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh has it. Yeah, I believe it's uh, Pittsburgh and uh, University of Texas. 
But so, yeah, but I, I agree. I mean, I think Raiders was, uh, plus it was a new built stadium. To me, it's just a good marriage of new technology, new venue. Makes sense. I think one of our challenges in general, as you can see, Paul, is um, getting people to understand the technology, which, as I mentioned, we typically like to do through results, but that sometimes takes time for people to adapt it, to use it, to see that it works well, and they become comfortable with it. Well, I, I would agree, but I would also say that in this market, you know, from what I've been covering it, and I'm sure as you're finding out now too, the word of mouth spreads pretty quickly. And the people who are in charge of IT developments at most stadiums are very willing to share, you know, with their friends. So, um, and it seems like the word of mouth is is spreading pretty rapidly just because I see all the announcements and all the deployments. So, you know, of course we are super proud to be part of the Raiders Stadium performance in in the Raiders Stadium, which we can't necessarily talk to is is second to none. But also just tap on a little bit to what you said. You know, we have we have matching antennas in 50% of the NFL stadiums now, which the word of mouth is definitely happening. And we have matching antennas, I looked at it, it's 37% of the NHL and NBA stadiums as well. We are starting to spread out internationally. We are part of World Cup, the Women's World Cup in some way. And, you know, we plan to be part of the upcoming Olympics in some way. I can't talk to the details of it. We are seeing much success internationally as well. And of course, that is because we have had much success in the U.S. Absolutely. Yeah, if I can just add one thing. I mean, just yep. again, me growing up internationally, I just want to thank the U.S. in general. I love, <laughs> I mean, the American approach of pioneering technology, I'll be honest with you, it, it, it's a real thing. I've been very appreciative because uh, specifically in the U.S., Technology came first and results came first to most people. They, they were willing to try new things from new suppliers as long as it benefited the customer. So big thanks to all the U.S. customers, definitely. That's a great point. I, I think that really does you know spell out why things happen you know, maybe much more quickly here. We're a little close to the end of the time here. Maybe as a, a final question, I'd like to circle back to something you mentioned before, Leo, about usage outside stadiums and macro deployments. Because it strikes me that I'm starting to see more and more mm-hmm. of those done. You know, from the Super Bowl area, we'll say, "Look, we're we're putting you know, cow antennas in place to help handle additional capacity." And lo and behold, what's on the top of the tower? It's a you know, very recognizable mm-hmm. sink lens antenna. So maybe just in closing, can you talk a little bit? You know, it, it's not all just stadiums, correct? In terms of business. Paul, so to my mind, as I mentioned, I mean, I see this technology as extremely versatile. I mean, outside of telecom, we're applying it for government, for satellite, for other things. But even within telecom, it's not just for stadiums, not just for events. I mean, it's a fundamentally different core of building an antenna. Now, what type of antenna you build using that foundation can be an antenna that's better suited for macro, better suited for stadiums, better suited for cows. But the technology, the fundamental technology is different, but provides those key benefits across all those segments. So I, I've seen the same thing. So, I mean, as I mentioned, the key actually was uh, getting people to get comfortable with the technology and adapting it for different uh, requirements. First obvious one was the outdoor events and places like that. Second, of course, seems to be arenas and venues, perfect fit. And third, again, we see the same problems in Mac. We see the same problems in rural and fixed wireless access. So actually, the past three, four years, we've been quite heavily um, starting to be used for those type of applications, whether it's uh, overcapacity macro sites. Because again, same same quick solution. Instead of building new sites, planning for these new sites, all the costs, 
just take off the antennas, put a matching antenna. All of a sudden, you have instant capacity. All your other sites' utilization goes down. No, it's a very fast fix, same as what we see in venues. Uh, but yeah, so in terms of applications, um, again, I mean, we're we're very focused to seeing lens. We believe lens is the future of antennas, whether it's for macro, for venues. So we're definitely going to be heavily introducing further new products and uh, more, let's say, higher technology products as well for macro. But already currently, we're seeing a lot of deployments. One I'm even particularly proud of is I believe even during the fires in Northern California, Right. Uh, one of the operators operators put a matching lens on a cow, drove it out, and instantly provided emergency uh, services yeah, to large areas. And things like that definitely make me proud. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing uh, macro deployments, and I'll let Bo uh, touch up on that a little bit more. I truly believe this technology, It's uh, I want to see this all antennas <laughs> replaced by lens. <laughs> Bo, any last thoughts? Oh, yes. So, so you know, it's exciting times, Paul. I'm going to go back to the sports world a little bit. You know, we we don't sure. only do stadiums. You know, we do the networks usually outside of the stadiums where they where they have you know gatherings or they do you know partying before the stadium or whatever. But you know, so even here in San Francisco where I live, you know, we have big ball antennas sitting around Moscone Center, for example, which was mm-hmm. put up in the first place because of the of the Super Bowl events that happen here in the in the city right. center, but. They saw quickly that this would be very, very beneficial for the for the general mobile network. So we see we see a lot of that happening, and we typically participate outside of the stadium as well. And then you have other sport events like you know Formula One races. We do many of those now, and golf tournaments and NASCAR. And so there's not just inside stadiums. We do a lot of other sport venue type things as well. But as, as Leo said, you know, we are, we are working really hard to provide a solution to, you know, fix wireless access providers. We are rolling out big nationwide networks right now. We are also participating, as Leo said, when it's needed for capacity reasons in, in the mobile networks as well, actually all over, all over the world at the moment. But, you know, that's an area we can grow with tremendously more than we currently are. It's exciting times to sort of circle back. You know, the proof's in the pudding, right? This isn't something that you guys are buying your way through sponsorships or anything else like that. I mean, if it didn't work, the people clearly wouldn't buy them. So uh, hats off to Matzing and and always is always interested to hear about new things happening in the future. So uh, Leo and Bo, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Paul. We've got some exciting stuff happening in R&D I can't talk about yet, but uh, you'll be one of the first to know. So definitely. <laughs> all right, folks, and stay tuned to stay Thanks, Paul. Report, yes. Because that's where you find uh, all of the news on matching deployments. This is Paul Kapuska for the Stadium Tech Report podcast saying thanks for listening. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank the sponsors of Stadium Tech Report, whose support enables us to continue our efforts to bring our objective, unbiased, and unpaid-for content to the Stadium Technology Marketplace. Our supporters include our co-producing sponsor, AmpThink, our survey sponsor, Verizon, our podcast title sponsors, Matsing and JMA, and our publication sponsors, which include Boingo, Mobility, Comscope, and American Tower. The Stadium Tech Report podcast is brought to you by Stadium Tech Report, the go-to publication for stadium technology news, analysis, and commentary. Technical production for the Stadium Tech Report podcast is led by Creative Director Dan Grimsley 
and digital designer Jackie Wen. Web and design work is by David Farris and John David. All contents of the Stadium Tech Report podcast are copyright Stadium Tech Report. Audio, video, and print content may not be reused without the express written consent of Stadium Tech Report.